doctrines there are there is uh, important material for us uh, to learn uh, from this from this book and we'll read this chapter together first and then we'll see some of them then job answered and said how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words these ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled me, he has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my path. He has stripped me, he has stripped from me my glory, and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me, and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and then camp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are holy and strange from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Or that my words were written, or that they were inscribed in a book, or that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Now, I don't know how you feel about this book in the Bible. Um, it, it is a hard book. Uh, some, the language used is not easy. It is a poetic book, and Hebrew poetry is not the easiest to understand. There are uh, figures that we are not familiar with. And it's, it's not the easiest. And sometimes you read things that the friends of Job say that are right... But the context they say those things are wrong. And interpreting this book is not always easy. It's hard because there is a hard story. 
I don't know how you feel when you read this book. When you are young, no? it's a, an impressive story. When you're a father and a mother, it is a terrible story. Imagine you being Job. Imagine all your money being taken away from you. Imagine all your friends, all your children, everything that is precious to you, and even your own health, removed with no explanation. How would you feel? It's, it's hard. And it is hard preaching from this book. In a sense, it is easy because the message is clear. It's not a complicated book to preach from, but living this book. It's easy to say, oh, you have to be strong and trust in God, and God doesn't give you answer. It's easy to say harder when that happens to you. I remember one day I preached from this book, and then we had an accident with our car. And Elisabetta was pregnant, and she was taken to hospital. And I thought, I spoke about God's sovereignty in doing everything that pleases him, and this is what happens. God does what pleases him, and it's not always what we would like him to do. Um, so it's easy to, um, to share the truth in this book, much harder to live them and to behave like Job in this book. So what do we learn from this, these 42 chapters? Uh, there is a character in this book that we don't speak very often, uh, and is Satan. The book begins with Satan appearing before God. Now, that's strange for us. That doesn't fit with our theology sometimes. Satan is with other angels at the presence of God. And he questioned God. That's what he does all the time. No? He, you know, God takes the initiative. And, and God says to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how faithful he is? Have you seen how, how, how good he is? And, and Job and Satan said to, to God, no, of course he's good. You have been good to him, and so therefore he's good to you. You're not that wise, God. You're, you're not that clever. There's nothing special in him. Your ways are not that straightforward. They're not, no, it's not difficult to follow you when you bless your people. Uh, they are not good because they are good. They are good because you help them. Far too easy. So he's questioning God's dealing with Job. And he's questioning God's opinion about Job. Uh, he's saying, God, you are wrong about Job. Job is not as good as you think. Let me try. Let me test him. And you will see that you are wrong and I am right. That's what the devil does. When he tempted Adam and Eve, he questioned God's wisdom. Okay. Has God said this? Is God sincere? Now God is wrong here. God is taking away things from you. He questioned God. He also accuses God's elect. Now one of the things the New Testament tells about the devil is that he's always accusing the church. Always accusing the believers. Accusing God's people. And here we find him doing this. He's questioning Job. He's saying Job is not faithful. Job, Job is not a good person. He's not a good believer. He's accusing Job in the presence of God. 
And that's what he's doing today. Even today, he's accusing us. He's listing before God our failings. He's accusing us, our consciences, our hearts. He's telling God, look at your church, look at your people. Look how they fail, look at their misery. He is constantly accusing us, just like he did with Job. But despite all this uh, bravery of the devil, questioning uh, God and uh, questioning his wisdom and understanding and accusing his people, Satan is subject to God. Hmm? He says... He, has, he says to God, let me test Job. And God says, okay, you can do this, but this is the limit. And the devil obeys God. Have you noticed? At the beginning, God says, you can take away everything, but don't touch him. And the devil takes everything from him, but he doesn't touch Job. Then... He goes again before God and he says, Okay, he has been faithful because you haven't touched him. Let him touch him and you will see. And God says, Okay, you can touch him, but don't kill him. And the devil obeys God. Sometimes we present the devil as someone who is outside of God's control. Someone who is free to do everything he wants. The devil is under God's authority. It's amazing that God's greatest enemy, the most disobedient being in the whole universe, obeys God. Isn't that incredible? God uses all things and controls all things. There is not one demon, not one creature that is outside of the control and the authority of of God. So the devil is a dangerous being. He's our accusers. He's a roaring lion. He tries to devour us. But even in his acting against us and God, he's still bound by God's will. He's in, in chain. God limits the devil. And the devil is under his control. And this is a great encouragement for us. Hmm? Because the one we serve is greater than our enemy. And the devil is limited. And God will stop the devil from going too far. And even the devil is a puppet in the hands of God. He thinks he's free, but he isn't. Think of Jesus. Um, the devil knew that Jesus was going to, to win him, to conquer him through his death. He knew this because... When Jesus began his earthly ministry, the devil tempted Jesus not to go there. He tempted Jesus to go away from the cross. Because he knew that in the cross, he was going to be defeated. But then, what, at the end, he possesses Jude, Iscariot, to, to betray Jesus and to cause the death of Jesus. So, the devil actually brought Jesus on the cross and caused himself to be defeated. He's under authority. 
is not, is not equal with God, is subject to God. And God uses him for his own purposes. Secondly, we find Job. He's the main character of this book. Now, at the beginning of the book, God says there is no man like Job. Now, what a statement. Imagine if God were to write a statement about you. I must be honest, if he were to say something about me to the devil, he wouldn't say, look at Gavino, there is none like him on earth. I'm afraid there's plenty better than me. But God's opinion about Job is remarkable. Hmm? He's faithful. He loves me. He honors me. He obeys me. I am pleased with him. That's an amazing thing. That is something we should aspire and desire. To please God. God was pleased with him. He was pleased. To the point that he was willing to test him to the very end. He, he trusted Job in a sense. He knew his heart. And he knew that even if the devil was going to take everything away from him, Job was not going to fail. And he didn't. After losing all his children, all his wealth, and all his health, Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And he pleased God even in his suffering. He's an exemplary person for us. And yet, he wasn't perfect. Despite the comments and despite the good things that God says about him, and despite God honoring him at the end, he was wrong. When God spoke to him, when God appeared and revealed himself to him, the Bible says that Job repented. He, he wasn't sinless. He was a man. And even the best of men is a man at its best. We're failing creatures. And even Job, in all his faithfulness and zeal and devotion, he, he wasn't free from sin. And you find the failing of Job not so much in, in blaming God. And we're going to see this. You might think that in the chapter we read that he sinned there. But that's not the sin of Job. The sin of Job is not in, uh, in saying that God was behind his suffering. The sin of Job was... I, I, I need to speak to him. I'm going to prove myself right before him. He, he lost sight of who God, what it, God really is. And that was his failing. Um, and yet, even in his questioning God, even in his arguments with God, even his pretension, he's a man of faith. Hmm? We read these beautiful words of Job. Remember, this is a man who lost everything. Huh? It's not a man who lost his job. This man lost all his children. Now, I can't imagine losing one. He lost everything. He's, he's in despair. And yet he says, My eyes will see him. In my flesh, I will see God. And that's a wonderful statement. That people say that in the Old Testament, believers didn't have the idea of eternity, or they didn't have an, ex, an, a, an eternal hope, that they live for today, 
that eternity is a New Testament revelation. Look at Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that I will see him in my flesh. He's saying, I will be restored. I will be resurrected. And I will see God face to face. In my flesh, with my own eyes, I will see him. This life is disgusting. I am sick of it. But I have a great hope for the future. I know there is a better life. There is something wonderful coming after all this. So he's a man of faith. And it is a man that is restored. God doesn't leave him in the state he is. And, and God delivers him and gives him back everything that he lost. And then there are Job's friends, or so-called friends. I, I wish God would never give us friends like these. Um, maybe we have been those kinds of friends, sadly. Um, and these friends are wrong in two ways. They're wrong in their theology, in their wisdom. So, these men, friends of Job, they see Job in despair. And what is their understanding? You lost everything, Job, because you sinned against God. Job, what you're going through, it's the result of your sin. You deserve this. And, and, they, and they say right things about God. They say God is a righteous God. God punishes the wicked. God honors the righteous. All these things are true. But not all the time. Suffering is not always the consequence of sin. Suffering is not always discipline. And they could not see that. They say, Job, you are suffering because you did something wrong. And as Job tried to defend himself, they piled up accusations. And, and they tried to persuade him with heavy words and bad things. The man was the worst of sinners at the end. They blame God, trying to defend God, trying to honor God. They accused his friend, their friend. They were wrong. At the end of the book, God said to, the, to this man, you were wrong, and Job was right. Your theology is wrong. Your wisdom is poor. You're not as wise as you think. But Job is right. And then there is failing in love. No? Uh, sometimes, in, as pastors, we have to show tough love to people. Uh, but I think sometimes it's just tough and there is no love. Uh, these men, when they saw Job in despair, they couldn't speak for a few days. They were broken. And I wish they kept quiet. Because they didn't help Job at all. And Job said that to them. I wish you never spoke to me. No? Even if I have sinned against God. Even if I am wrong. Is, is that the way you behave? Is that the way you show love to me? Is that all you can do? Just point to my failings and my sins? Where is your love? Where is compassion? And it's easy sometimes to, to try to find an answer. When we find someone suffering, we try to find reasons behind that. And sometimes there are reasons. 
And we have to present those reasons to the people suffering. But sometimes there is no reason. There are some people, and God in his providence allows things that are very, very difficult. And they're not punishment. They're not discipline. It's just providence. And sometimes trying to comfort these people, we actually hurt these people even more. And even when we say the right things to these people, there is no love for these people. There is hardness. There is judgment. There is no kindness. And Job said to them, you speak like that because you're not me. If you were in my position, you wouldn't speak like that. You speak well because all is well with you. You are so righteous in your talking. You're so holy in what you say because you are not suffering. It's easy for you to defend God and to speak for God. Try to be in my shoes. Try to pray and no answer. Try to weep and desiring your own death and see how you feel. His friends failed him. And I think there is a lot for us to learn as friends. There is a time when we should be quiet and always, always showing compassion. Even when the people have done wrong, even when people have failed, even when they deserve what they are going through, we should be compassionate and merciful. Because when we are suffering, when we are reaping our own sin, what do we expect from our friends? We expect mercy and no judgment. What about God in this book? This is not the God we always like, if we're honest. This is not um, the gracious God, the compassionate God, the reasoning God we often present in our modern evangelical Christianity. The God of Job is a hidden God. Is a God who doesn't give answer. All Job is asking for is, why? Why are you doing this to me? You know? What have I done wrong? Let me present my case, God. Let, let me show you that I don't deserve this. And you will be persuaded. Explain to me what's wrong here. When God speaks to Job, he says loads of things, never why. He never explained the reason behind. He never told Job, the devil came to me and he provoked me and it was, a, no, it was an argument and we used... Nothing of that. There's no answering. No explanation given. And Job complains with God. Where are you? I can't find you. I wish I could hear from you. And although God is a God who has revealed himself in Christ and he speaks to us and he answers prayers. There are moments, friends, in our experience, and God doesn't speak. We read his word and we don't hear anything. We pray and there is no answer. And that doesn't mean that we have sinned. But there are moments when God does that. There are moments in our Christian life when he seems far away from us. Think of Jesus on the cross. He was obeying the Father. He was pleasing the Father. And yet, he said, why have you forsaken me? 
there are moments as God's people we feel forsaken. We are not forsaken, but we feel forsaken because God doesn't speak to us, doesn't reveal himself to us the way we, we would like. God allows silence and darkness in our lives. He's a kind of a hidden God. He's a sovereign God. We spoke earlier on talking about the devil being under the authority of Satan. He's sovereign. He's king of all with Sangalyaron. He rules over everything. Sometimes we present a God that is reacting to what is happening. No? Something happens and God steps in. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is in absolute control. Nothing moves without his will. It's king. And even those who are against him, that are trying to overcome him, are subjected to him. I think it was Augustine who said, there is not a leaf that moves without the will of God, allowing that leaf to move. And Jesus speaks of our hair being counted. Not a swallow dies without God's permission. Every detail is part of his plan. Belongs to him. It's under his control. There is no chances. There is no luck. There is God's plan. And there is God's will. And this sometimes is frightening. Because we don't know what God has in purpose. But at the same time it's a great comfort. Imagine if your future... Not just eternity, but even your tomorrow depended on your own wisdom. And the wisdom and love and care of the people around you. Disaster. But our future is in the hands of God. He knows what is best for us and he knows how to give those things unto us. He's king. He controls all things. He's free. Again, this is not something we like. Now, we talk about freedom. Hmm? Um, we like the idea of being free. I think you Americans know the idea of liberty and freedom is a big idea. Huh? And, and the idea is that I am the master of my own destiny. I, I do what I want. And you, are, you have no right to tell me what not to do. Um... God is free. God does everything that pleases him. And you're not going to stop him. You're not going to stop him. He doesn't need my permission or your permission. He didn't ask the church, what do you think about Stephen being taken away? What do you think about Stephen being put to death? Or what do you think of Saul becoming a missionary? He didn't ask their permission. He did what he wanted. Because God is free. Of course we have to be careful here. Because when we think of freedom, not the freedom to do whatever we like, our will and God's will and his freedom are limited by his own being. 
So, God will never choose to sin. Because he's a holy being. So, everything that God freely decides is according to his perfect character. To his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness. So, when God allows in his own freedom trials and suffering in the life of Job's, is not cruelty. Is, is a God who loves Job. And is free to allow certain things in the life of Job because his goodness wants that. His care, his compassion, his wisdom. But God is free. He is Lord. And he's powerful. When, when God speaks to Job, he says to Job, Job, where were you? When I created everything in this world, when I did all things out of nothing, Job, where were you? Who are you, Job? You're just an ant in front of me. You can't speak. God is presenting himself to Job like a great God, like a glorious God, like a mighty God, who does all things by his own power, by his own will. And although we don't, might not like this, I think this is the God we need in our days and generations. We as a church need to rediscover the greatness of our God. Because the church is more, and the world is roaring against God and his kingdom. But our God is a great God. He's a glorious God. He created all things by the word of his power. He spoke and things came to pass. God says, let there be light. And there was light. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. The God we proclaim to people. It's not a, a small thing, a small being, a small creature. It's the creator. Who controls all things. And the people around us need a God who is powerful, who is mighty, who is sovereign, who controls their lives. Someone they can rely. If God was more like us, we couldn't trust him. If God needed our permission, if God wasn't free, if God wasn't almighty, if God wasn't what he reveals himself in Job, we couldn't trust him. You couldn't follow him. You couldn't depend on him. What's the point of praying a God who needs our permission? Or who, who needs to work out things with the help of others? God is a glorious God. And it is a God that at the end reveals himself as a gracious God. He restores Job and gives him more than what he used to have. He comforts Job. And blesses him. And show again to Job that he's a merciful God. And finally, we learn about Jesus in this book. Um, Job says, my Redeemer lives. Now, who is this Redeemer? Uh, scholars would say, oh, it's just God. It's nothing to do with Jesus. Who is the Redeemer in the Bible? It's Jesus. And so what Job saw in his suffering, he had an understanding of the Messiah, an understanding of Christ. He saw 
someone that would one day deliver him from all his troubles, from all his afflictions. And of course, Yahweh is the Redeemer. But Jesus says, I am Yahweh. I am God. And I am Job's Redeemer. He is the true Redeemer. He is the one, friends, we're going to see with our own eyes one day. Then there is one day when in our, our flesh decays, we will die and rot in the grave. One day our body will be reunited with our souls and our eyes, friends, will see him face to face. And I like to think, no, it, it, we know God in Jesus. There is no other way for us to know God. And I like to think, friends, that when we see Christ on that day, we'll see in him the glory of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will see the beauty of them in the person of Christ, in the face of Jesus Christ. Hmm? Our life might be a mess today and hard sometimes, but one day we'll be gone. We see Jesus and all is well with our souls. He's our Redeemer. He is our wisdom. You know, this is a kind of a theological debate going on between Job and his friends. This is a wisdom book. It's trying to understand what's going on in life. And Paul tells us that Christ is our wisdom. Hmm? He is the one who gives us understanding. It is in him that everything makes sense. Without Christ, there is no explanation to things. Without him, this life doesn't make sense. But in Christ, everything makes sense. He's our intercessor. At the end of the book, God says to the friends of Job, says, now, Job is going to intercede for you. He's going to offer sacrifices for you because you are wrong, you are guilty. But he will intercede for you and I will not punish you because of him. I think we see there a wonderful picture of Christ. Huh? We are Job's friends. We are unwise. We are wrong. We are without love for our neighbors. Christ is our Redeemer, the one who intercedes for us. He stands between us and a holy God. He speaks for us on our behalf. He speaks well for us before God. And when the devil accuses us, and he's got plenty arguments to accuse us, He's the one who intercedes for us at the right hand of God. And he's the true friend. The friend that we all need. Uh, there is that famous verse when he says that he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, we, we need a friend, a real friend. And when God gives us a friend in this life, it helps a lot. Sometimes that friend is our wife. Sometimes is a colleague. Sometimes is a friend from childhood. But when God gives us these kinds of friends, our life is much easier. And yet even the best of our friends fail us. And we have failed our friends. But Jesus is a friend that is better than a brother. He is the only one who deals with us gently and according to our needs. He is able to show us tough love and real love at the same time. He's able to say what we need to hear, even when we don't like to hear that, but in such a way that wins our souls to him. 
He's always right. His advice is always good. His attitude is always good. He's the friend that we need. And when we preach Christ, um, we preach a Christ that is glorious, sovereign, omnipotent, almighty, and yet a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And people around us need Jesus. Not just as their own saviour. Of course they need him to save them from all their sins. But they need a friend. They need someone who loves them and cares for them and provides for them. And that person is not the pastor, is not you, is not this church. It's Jesus. And only Jesus. And he's the only one who can satisfy the desires of their hearts. And so we present to them someone who is able, who is mighty, someone who is gracious.